Well, good morning, everyone. It is so exciting. Oh, wait, before, for those who are still standing and those who wish to stand, it is great that we can be here this morning. Can I hear an amen? One, one a little bit louder. An amen? amen. Woo! Awesome. Oh, yeah, you, yeah, you're free to sit down and thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning. Um, apologize, Mark, for the, if there's, there's cuts in there, but um, it is great that we can be here together this morning. And uh, why don't we just start off this time focusing our hearts, quieting our hearts on Jesus, who is our Lord and Savior. Jesus, we thank you for your death and resurrection, for your ultimate sacrifice for our life, and that we can be here and we can celebrate another day that we reflect that you are our Savior, that you paid the cost for the sin that we were born with, the sin that we have committed, that you have paid it all for us. And we just thank you that we can be here this morning and focus on many of the people that you have used in profound ways, God, to shape your people in becoming more like Jesus, who you sent down for us. In your name we pray, amen. Well, this morning, we are focusing in on the life of Elisha. This shouldn't be new to some of us. Over the last four weeks, we've been focusing in on this series called Just Like Us Too. This comes from uh, James, who is a New Testament writer, and he, he writes that Elijah, Elisha's mentor, was a person like you and I, or just like us. And God used Elijah in some pretty significant and profound ways to shape Israel's history, to shape other nations' history, to shape Judah's history. And God worked in amazing ways. And he can work through us today in the same ways that he worked through these great men of history. And so now we are focusing in on Elisha, who gets a double portion, and he has, so, he has twice as many things that we could, we could uh, marvel at and miracles that we could talk about. And so that's where we are today in 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 to 16. And uh, I invite you to flip there. And, and, and as you're flipping there, I want to share with you a little bit of a story um, so you can, you can get to know me and my family a, a little bit. Uh, my wife and I, we went on a, a honeymoon, as I imagine most of uh, you married couples probably went on a honeymoon. And uh, if we can just pull up the picture here, we have the two of us going uh, belaying. You know, we uh, both grew up going to a Bible camp, and I think a one commonality between Bible camps is that there's always a rock climbing wall. I don't know if that was your experience, but every Bible camp that I've worked at and that my wife has worked at and directed at, there's always a rock climbing wall. And so we I planned that we are going to do this, this ropes course and stuff over in Mexico, and so you know it's safe. Um, and anyway, so there's, uh, yeah, me on the left and her on the right. And, and we're, we're coming down this, uh, this waterfall thing. And anyways, we uh, are, well, maybe a little competitive. Uh, my wife went down first, and... Uh, and we're at a little bit of a disadvantage at this point. And so they were hooking me up, and, and Lindsay's already going down. And, and here I come, and so 
there, there's a little bit stirring within myself, oh, I gotta catch up to her, you know, that we've had all of this training, like there's gotta be some sort of proof that, that I'm good at this, and so I start letting go of the rope, and from that point, I drop pretty quickly to try to catch up to her. But, rule number 101 of climbing, and when you're using, uh, you know, whether you're using Grigory's or, or uh, um, AT, ATC's, um, you don't do what I'm doing on the left. Do not let go of the rope, uh, because you will fall faster and you are not in control in the least bit of the way in which you're falling. And there is my beautiful wife holding on to a rope and having a great time. And so, anyways, as you see her land so gracefully and, oh, she's almost posing, if you will. Um, and, and, anyways, she, she hits rock bottom in a great way. And I end up hitting rock bottom with my bottom. <laughs> Pride overtook my thoughts. And all this training that I had was fueled by pride, and I forgot the very basics. And so, um, as we get drawn together, uh, yeah, you can see that <laughs> she's having a great time, and they are scurrying me along so that the next person doesn't fall on me. Are there times or moments within your life that you have been overtaken by pride. That you have been following along and you say, I'm not going to listen to so-and-so. They don't know what they're talking about. I'm not going to do that. I know better. Are there moments within our life that we take matters into our own hands in uh, some pretty significant ways? This really reminds me of that proverb uh, 16 verse 18 where Solomon reflects and he says pride comes before fall yeah it's actually destruction but, but fall um, and a haughty spirit comes before a fall but we are here this morning reflecting on these amazing stories that God has given us in 2 Kings and we might see a character that struggles a little bit with his pride and how God is gracious, beyond gracious. Now, starting at verse 1, Now, Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram, and he was a great man in the sight of his masters, highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram, and he was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Interesting here, uh, as we'll notice a lot of times in the Old Testament, uh, God's actually blessing the enemies of Israel in pillaging Israel. And, and, and if you notice how Naaman is described here, he's not, you know, some humble, lowly guy. He is a commander. He is in charge. He is winning victories. And it is at the hand of of God that he is winning these victories. But, as I'm sure some of us are familiar with quarantining, he has his own quarantining issue. He has leprosy. And they would, you know, the, the Levitical priests uh, would set somebody aside for seven days, and then 
they would examine them and set them aside for maybe another seven days if they didn't look super great and, and on and on it went. And so he is hindered in his ability, but not only that, leprosy was one of the worst of the worst diseases that you could get uh, during this time. Now, a band of raiders from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. We're, we're at verse 3 of this, and we're given a young woman that has been taken into exile. And instead of grumbling or complaining about the state that she's in, she has the faith to tell this man that probably doesn't even realize that God is winning these victories for him. There is hope. There is a cure for you, and it's not going to come from wherever you're searching. It's coming from the one and only God. Do we have faith like that? Faith in a time that seems oh so despairing, time maybe ripped away from family, from culture, from everything you know, and yet through the midst of it, the exact enemy that took you out of your homeland choose to bless by saying, do you know the God that we worship? Do you know that there is somebody in Samaria that has a better future for you than the one that you are pursuing here. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. And, and this is what, his, this is what the, the, the king uh, of Aram says. By all means go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. The, the, the king of Aram that is not underneath God's uh, you know, he's not following after God. He recognizes and, and has trust in Naaman from the trust that he, and, and the faith that Naaman got from this little girl. How powerful God can use our words in times of desperation. So I sent a letter to the king of Israel so Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. Maybe these were the things that he pillaged from Israel before. Maybe these are just, you know, it would be a common practice that going and seeing a king, you would bring gifts. But he is coming with a grand gift with a lot of silver and about maybe 150 pounds worth of gold and lots of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. So not only has this king of Aram said, oh yes, Naaman, I, I trust you, you know, take a, take a sabbatical, go figure out uh, your health condition. No, he writes a royal, a royal letter and says that he may be cured of his leprosy. 
As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? What does, what does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me? This king of Israel, and most likely, you know, if you've been following along, you've been noticing that the kings of Israel are not super great. But this king that is also supposed to be underneath God's reign takes this asking for a miracle, asking for, for God's prophet to heal him as a threat for war. How far gone has Israel come to the point that their enemies are requesting God to work within their life? These are sad and dark times within Israel's history. And then we are met with a man who brings light time and time again into these political, uh, militaristic, and, and religious wars during this time. His name is Elisha. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. He didn't come to him in person. He sent him a message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went to, with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, See, Elisha hasn't, he hasn't met Elisha at all. This great commander of this army that is, is in some ways significantly winning the battles with Israel isn't even met by the prophet. Just been sent a message. Messenger. Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. Seems pretty easy, pretty simple, eh? See, in, in, in Levitic history uh, and with the Levitic instructions, if, uh, if you're familiar with Leviticus, it's you know, where you have all the fun laws. And they're actually, if, if you take time to you know, work them through, they actually can be quite fun to read through. Um, Leviticus 14, starting at verse 6, describes people with skin diseases and how they are supposed to cleanse themselves. The priest is then to take a live bird and dip it together with the cedar wood and uh, sacred yarn and the hyssop into the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. Seven times he shall sprinkle the one to be cleansed of the defiling disease and then pronounce them clean. After that, is he, he's to release the live bird into the open field. The person is to be cleansed, must wash their clothes, shave off all their hair, and bathe with the water, and then they will be ceremonially clean. And after that, they can come into the camp and, and they can continue on in more of, of a regular rhythm of life. But you see that there's this washing and seven times of sprinkling blood. And Naaman is given something even easier or simpler than that. Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored. But Naaman, what, does he, what is his response here? He's a great, great commander-in-chief. He knows better. 
Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. He wants, he wants a real encounter. He wants something big. He is a man that demands greatness. And he demands these, these great acts. And Elisha hasn't even met with him. Curious how God guides our life and whether Elisha knew this or whether it was God's divine purpose in not allowing Elisha to meet with him. Perhaps it's both. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? The Jordan, gross. Ugh. I don't know about, I don't know about you, but you know that that Waccamo Valley down there. I don't want to be washing that. Lake Diefenbaker. Could we could we do something better here? Could we we do something a little more glorious? Even maybe Buffalo Pound. Come on, I'll, I'll withstand the itch if you will, but not not Waccamo. Come on. Jerusalem is a bit of a trek. You know, the historians try to say somewhere between 25, 20, uh, 36 miles away. And even by horseback, there's a lot of reflecting on, is this the right thing to do? There's greater places that I could be cleansed. Little hint, things don't really go super well when people say that this is what God's going to do and this is the way God should act. So he turned and went off in rage. Naaman's servants, another person of, of lower authority than him, went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? This is a big turning point for Naaman within this narrative. He takes the advice of his servants. He takes sound counsel with those who are not in a high, high position as himself. So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. God healed him in him in his obedience, in his faith that he had. Not only are are the leaders the leaders aren't following God. The leaders don't Naaman thinks this is the way God needs to work. This is what God needs to do. And it's the servants, it's the lowliest of the low. It's the exiled little girl from Israel. Speaking in more powerful ways than what any money or wealth or soldiers or any sort of power could ever communicate. They're speaking with the power of God. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. 
I mean, Naaman, you're, you're, you're a little bit of a new believer. God is everywhere, but we, we, won't, we won't deal with that right now. Naaman has a life-changing moment here. He is met with healing and with sanctification. He is met with a God that heals him physically and a God that heals him from his inner being, that wants to change his life for the better, that wants to take him away from a life of sin and show him a life worth living. So please accept a gift from your servant. There's this, there's this dis, disconnect of, you know, thank you for, for God, um, you know, doing this for me. Like, here, here's a payment. Here's something. I, I can buy the faith that I need to do that, that I need to be healed again when hard times come my way. And the prophet answers, As surely as the Lord lives who I serve, I will not accept a thing. Elijah's not going to accept any credit for the work that God has done. That is a great example of a man that breathes life into those around him. And even though Naaman, Naaman urged him to, he refused Later on, we're going to, if you keep on reading, you will see that Gehazi, his, his uh, protege, doesn't follow the exact same track and doesn't model his life after Elisha. And he pays deeply for it. But Elisha here shows us what it looks like to point all the credit back to God, to give God the glory for the things that he has done within our life and in the life of those around us. Within Luke, book of Luke, we get Jesus' account with leprous men. Chapter 17, verse 11. Now on this now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee, and he was going into a village. Ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out with a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. This going and showing yourself to the priest in, in the same way that we talked about in Leviticus. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. The man in Samaria that we talked about before, now we have a Samaritan being healed of his leprosy. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine has no one returned to give praise to God except for this foreigner? It's the same exact example that we see within 2 Kings 5. But it's also a hope for us here today. We are grafted into God's family. We are his workmanship just as the Jews are. Jesus says to him, rise up, go, your faith has made you well. And friends, if you don't know God today, faith, 
It is not this big, huge, huge, miraculous healing all the time. Sometimes it can be the smallest thing that maybe seems so insignificant, but oh, it has the power for a life filled with adventure. A life filled with a God that cares about you deeply in a way that we could never understand, but that we continue to strive after in understanding his love for us. As, um, as we can see here, surprise, surprise, uh, Lindsay and myself, we, uh, we did not die, uh, and, and we <laughs> ended up at the bottom of the waterfall, and God showed us grace because there were um, as I said, a Mexican tour, uh, there were many points that uh, had a, maybe a little extra fun than what they needed to. And God showed us grace in the little things and in the big things on that journey. But friends, if we are full of pride and self-will like Naaman, who could not accept the simple cure of faith, Sometimes people react to God's offer of forgiveness in the same way. We're told to just believe in Jesus Christ uh, and somehow uh, that doesn't seem significant enough to bring eternal life. To obey God's command doesn't always seem heroic. What Naaman had to do is uh, to have lep- his leprosy washed away as simply uh, as as to as a simple sorry to obey God's command doesn't seem heroic. What Naaman had to do to have his leprosy washed away is similar to the way in which we must come to God and wash away our sins, humbly accept God's mercy. Don't let your reaction to the way of faith keep you from the curse or from the cure that you need most. Sometimes we, we don't always have a, a good time trusting God. We, we have a hard time trusting God. Do you, do you really have my best interest at heart? Are you really going to bring about this in the best way possible? And friends, I want us to know three things today. That God's way is the best way. That God wants our obedience more than anything else today. And that God can use anything to accomplish his purpose. God placed that Israelite girl right where she was for a purpose. And she was faithful. He placed those servants, maybe years of being treated terribly, and they have the courage to tell their boss, maybe you should think this, maybe you should think this twice over. Friends, when we are given something from God, do we have the courage to tell our superior, maybe we want to think this over again. Boss, this is, this is where I, I feel I'm being called. This is where I feel that, that God wants to send us. Do we have that courage? 
within those maybe important board meeting rooms and those important moments that God presents to us. And leaders, those who are continuously, um, you know, we're navigating through so many different things, uh, especially through, through COVID and, and, and whatnot, but do we have the courage and the openness like Naaman did to listen to those who are of lower positions? No matter how humble or small your position, God can use you to spread his word. Look for opportunities to tell others of what God can do. Because there's no telling who will hear your message. This message that Jesus not only wants to heal you physically, but heal you through and through. That one is not separated from the other. Friends, if, if you know Jesus today, what would it look like if we, were, if we were to challenge ourselves this week? One person on your street. Tell them about the faith that you have in our Lord and Savior. What would it look like? Just one person. I mean, br- bring it up naturally, bring it up uh, abruptly, um, bring it up with tact. But friends, We are called to go out into the world and spread the good news. This good news that that is for all nations, that is for Naaman, just as it was for Elisha, and just as it is for you and I today. What would it look like if we continue to show the grace of God that God shows us to those who do not know our loving Lord and Savior? Let us pray this morning for strength and courage for the week to come. Holy Spirit, we just ask that you fill us today, that you fill us with your words, with, with the heart that you have for the lost here in Moose Jaw, the lost that are in Karenport, um, Briarcrest, uh, Weyburn, the Regina, all the surrounding area. God, wherever you have placed us, what does it look like for us to have trust in you, to share this good news? That though we might uh, be hard of speech like Moses described himself, God, may we be given your confidence that you will speak through us, that we will have the confidence that Jesus demonstrated for us that we will not hold back but that we will continue to breathe life into those who are hurting and distraught especially during times such as these God may we not continue in our old ways of sin but may we continue to strive after you we thank you for your your forgiveness and your love for us we just ask you, Jesus, may you be our Savior. May you continue to sanctify us. May you continue to heal those who are unhealthy. And may you continue to be our hope as our coming King for the future to come. In your name we pray. Amen.